Black Friday is an odd day. I have friends who look forward to it all year. They're the bargain hunters and they're really good at what they do, which is great. I say more power to them. If they want to wake up at 3 a.m. after a Thanksgiving meal and fight their way through crowds, good for them. But I won't be joining them, mostly because I don't like crowds. And I don't want to overgeneralize here. I'm sure tons of very good things happen on that day. But that evening on the news, we'll also inevitably see the footage of people trampling each other, racing to get their hands on that brand new shiny toy. People get crazy when you get that many people together in a tight space fighting over a limited amount of resources the claws come out crowds tend to bring out the worst in us and understanding that will help us appreciate the fourth sign welcome to stories in scripture podcast dedicated to telling the big story of the Bible one piece at a time. My name is Keith. And I'm Ryan. Today's story is sign number four, and this one is about food and crowds and sharing and Passover and a whole lot more. The city bustled with noise and activity. Merchants and fishermen crowded the port, hoping to fill their coffers with the riches of both Rome and Asia. Ephesus, located on the western slopes of Turkey, had long been a city of commerce. As long as John can remember, Rome has used the city as a strategic port for their provinces in Asia Minor. Through Ephesus, they were able to manage and control the riches all the way to Judea. It was second only to Rome in influence and power. Maybe that's why I've always felt so drawn here. John thinks as he looks at the ships moving in and out of the marina. So much humanity, so much need to hear the good news. Paul had also taught him that. Go where the people are, John, even if they don't want you there. Paul, John sighs. He never felt comfortable around Paul. Too much movement, too loud. But these many years after Paul's death in Rome at the hands of the empire, John feels a swell of love in his heart every time he thinks of that wild, boisterous man. He laughs and shakes his head. What he wouldn't give to see Paul here in Ephesus today. He'd be down in those docks right now, laughing and preaching. John smiles at the thought. The joy is tinged with sadness. He knows he's old, nearing the end of his race, as Paul would say. He turns towards the rising sun, grateful for each one he still gets to see. Finally, he turns towards the scribe. The young man sets up his materials with such purpose and precision. For a moment, John sees himself doing the same thing, only with his nets on his father's boat. The zeal of perfection, the privilege of the young. John misses it some days. It's been decades since he felt that zeal, but it comes at a price. One that John has paid over and over again. Now he has neither the energy nor the desire to fuel that monster. He sees the fire of the mission in the young man's eyes, a mission that will never be complete until one day he will recognize that he doesn't have to keep pushing, that the mission doesn't need him to finish, that his role is but one part in the larger story. John knows what the young man needs to hear. He smiles. This one never gets old. Then there was that one Passover. The 
Their travels revolved around Passover. The ebb and flow of their movements through Judea were dictated by the High Holy Day. Unlike the previous year, however, they had not made their way towards Jerusalem yet. Instead, they had crossed the Sea of Galilee. Rabbi seemed worn down by the crowds. He needed to retreat and recharge. So they headed to the mountains on the other side of the sea. They were sitting in a small valley trying to find space to spend time together without the multitudes. It was no use. A shepherd had spotted them. He had taken word back to his village. A crowd began to gather, with more coming each moment. People couldn't pass up the opportunity to see the young Jewish rabbi and his twelve followers. Jesus of Nazareth drew people like flies to honey. Rabbi looks out on the approaching Galileans and closes his eyes. John senses that he wanted to talk to the disciples about much more than he's had the opportunity to. John watches Rabbi closely. He opens his eyes and John notices a slight sink in his shoulders. Rabbi must be tired, exhausted from the demands of the crowds. Despite that, however, he seems as full of love and compassion for them as he ever has. He smiles as the first group reaches where they sit, arms stretched out in greeting, as if beckoning them nearer. All of these signs keep gravitating around important festivals, which we can focus on more in another season, but for this episode, it's important to point out that Passover is at hand. For starters, this sign is foreshadowing another massive event that will happen during Passover. But also remember, Passover was all about a feast. A feast celebrating the Jews' exodus from slavery out of Egypt. So as we continue on with this story, make a mental note that everyone in the approaching crowd would have had the Passover meal in the back of their mind. John's never seen the crowd this big. He shoots a nervous glance at Peter. Peter nods in agreement. There must be four or five thousand people here, not including women and children. He and the other disciples look around in wonder. John looks over Rabbi's shoulders, trying to read what he's going to do. He looks back over his shoulder at John and Peter. All three are thinking the same thing. There's not enough for them all to eat. Not even close. Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people? John lets out a burst of laughter before he can stop it. He realizes it was not a question that Rabbi expected an answer to. Rabbi was trying to start a conversation, but John couldn't help himself. Then John takes the question seriously. That's not our problem. We didn't ask them to follow us here. It would take half a year to earn the wages to buy food for all these people, Philip said incredulously. But Rabbi looks at John while he says this. John can tell Rabbi read his thoughts. He looks down at his feet, shifting them in the scrub and dirt. Normally Peter would have said such a thing, always the one to speak before thinking. Philip looks surprised at his own boldness. Rabbi stayed quiet. Apparently Philip gave the wrong answer. Andrew tries again. Here's a boy with five loaves of barley and two small fish, but how far will that go with this many people? John and the others laugh. It is barely enough for the twelve of them, let alone for the crowd. But Rabbi is still quiet. The laughter dies down and they all shift uncomfortably. Have them all sit down. As Moses led the crowd out of Egypt, they grumbled. Because that's what crowds do, they grumble. Even when they're being saved out of slavery. Whenever you have a large group of people in the same space, things can head south in a hurry. 
which explains why there are always lots of police officers at sporting events and concerts. Put a bunch of humans into one small space and you never quite know what's about to happen. This is the most public sign we've seen so far. Most of them have been happening in small groups of people, but suddenly we have a crowd of several thousand, which on one hand may be a strategic move by the rabbi as he gets his message out to the world, but I think there's something more going on here. Passover is a time to celebrate the exodus, the journey out of slavery and into freedom. And the way to celebrate it is by sharing a meal with friends and family, both in remembrance of the exodus and as a celebration of what is to come in the future. Because remember, the end of the biblical story, the thing we're all heading towards is every tribe, tongue, and nation eating together and celebrating each other in freedom. And if you were a Jew in the first century, that picture of freedom from oppression would mean a ton to you because you're currently being oppressed by the Roman Empire. So here we have a crowd full of Jewish men and women anxiously awaiting the arrival of a leader who will help them overthrow Rome. Then a little boy steps forward and offers up a little bit of bread. We miss a little detail in our English translation. The Greek word that John uses here for boy is padarion, which is more of a diminutive word for the boy. John's essentially calling him a really young boy or just a lad, which is fascinating because in first century Judaism, children were looked down on. They weren't important. To make it worse, this kid is offering barley, which was cheap bread, food the lower class would eat. In fact, there's a good chance he was just following the crowd, hoping to sell the little bit of barley that he had. Translation, this kid is a nobody in the eyes of the crowd. People were probably quite offended that this kid would even consider stepping forward. But not Jesus. He looks at the situation. A huge crowd, human beings, insatiable need to create hierarchy, Passover, the bigger story he was here to tell, and he sees it all as a perfect opportunity for his next sign. Rabbi takes the loaves in his hands. Father, thank you for your provision. Bless these loaves as we eat. Rabbi says as loud as he can. He does the same with the fish. He then directs his disciples to begin distributing the food. John looks out at the crowd skeptically. What is he doing? What does he mean, thanks? And distribute the food? Is he joking? We'll be laughed out of Judea. Reluctantly, the disciples begin to pass the food around. John had half a loaf and a small piece of fish when he started. This won't last long. He moved from group to group, giving them enough for a meal. Suddenly, John stops in amazement. He looks down at what he has still. Two loaves and a whole fish. How is this possible? I have more than when I started. So it's... Passover and everyone is breaking bread together. Here's an interesting note. John doesn't include the Lord's Supper in his story. In John 13 through 17, Jesus has the meal with the disciples. He washes their feet, prays for them, etc. But John doesn't include the moment where he passes around the bread. Maybe, just maybe, this is John's version of the Eucharist. It's worth considering for sure. It's Passover after all, and Jesus breaks the bread, blesses it, 
distributes it and provides for everyone. So maybe one way to see it is that John is putting legs to the story. What if John is showing the practical side of the Last Supper? How do we participate in the breaking? One very simple way is to feed people who are hungry. When you see someone who needs food, give it to them. Share what you have. Make sure everyone has enough. Share what you have to make other people's lives better. Even if you, like the little boy, don't feel like you have much to offer in the first place, that's the wrong way to think about it. Share what you have. Sometimes I wonder if God gets annoyed at how complicated we make these stories, myself included. Just share. And that of course, goes much deeper than just giving food to somebody. Meals represented community, being together, making sure everybody not only has enough to eat, but has somebody to enjoy the meal with. Be together. That's what Jesus is creating here. Gather all the pieces that are left, Rabbi states. Let nothing be wasted. John walked up to where Rabbi was standing. Andrew joined him. He is just as shocked and overwhelmed as John. They have been handing out food for most of the evening. Andrew has more food left than John. John, we've been with the rabbi for how long now? Have we ever seen a sign like this? No, John says incredulously, and I don't think we ever will see anything like it again. We just fed thousands. The disciples gathered all the food left over. They filled 12 baskets with the leftover bread. 12. That's not an accident, John thought. This one's hard for me. I I don't even like ordering family style at a restaurant. Seriously, it gives me anxiety. I want my own food. That way I can take my time and not feel like I have to race to the last piece of food. So there's a low grade anxiety for me that comes with sharing food. But in this story, that anxiety doesn't seem to be in the air. Everyone's just hanging out and sharing. Now, I realize that Jesus multiplying a few loaves of bread is a crazy miracle. It's a huge sign. But to me, the bigger miracle here is people sharing. Because when the food began being passed out, you'd think there would be this mad Black Friday-esque rush towards the front. I mean, these people are hungry, and hunger does weird things to people, but that doesn't seem to be the case. Instead, they all shared, and as a result, they all ate their fill, and then they had more left over. Everyone was happy that everyone else was eating. There doesn't seem to be anxiety that they would run out. People weren't stuffing their pockets, hoarding leftovers. Everyone just eats their fill. And then, as if that's not enough, each one of the disciples is still left with a basket full of leftovers. Almost as if Jesus is saying, now it's your turn. Keep doing exactly what we just did. John notices a change in the rabbi. Panic wouldn't be the right word, but John couldn't think of anything better. Rabbi was slightly panicked. Rabbi wanted to leave as fast as he could. The noise from the crowd swelled. John listened carefully to what they were saying. His eyes went wide. They showered praise on rabbi. That was no surprise, but they also said they wanted a king. John turned back to find Rabbi. Could this be our chance? Have we finally broken through to all of Judea? James and Peter talked excitedly, smiling and clasping hands. 
The other disciples follow suit. They all know their movement is about to gain real influence. But where is the rabbi? John, trained to see darting fish in the sea, seeks out rabbi in the crowd. He can't find him. He looks for a few more moments. Finally, John sees him, but he is not in the crowd. John had turned back to chat with Peter and spotted rabbi walking quickly up the mountain, trying to escape the tempest of the crowd, finding solace in the wilderness. What do we do now? John thinks as he turns back to the crowd. By the end of his life, I'm sure John understood why Jesus withdrew like this. But in the moment, he probably felt a lot of confusion. Was the rabbi over it? Did he want a new group of disciples? Was it something John said or did? So many questions. These are the things John was probably wondering, or maybe to be fair, these are the things I would be wondering if I were in his shoes. Because let's be honest, we tend to make ourselves the star of any story. Meaning if Jesus is heading up a mountain by himself, John surely thinks it was his fault. I mean, this was the perfect time for the Messiah to build his platform and get his message out to the world. Why would he be sneaking off by himself? In John's eyes, he must be thinking he did something wrong, right? Or maybe Jesus was just telling a much bigger story. One that doesn't have time for petty things like earthly fame. A story that is about to start coming together in the next sign when Jesus meets his disciples later that night in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. Thank you for listening to this episode of Stories in Scripture. You can learn more about our project at storiesinscripture.com. Follow us on Twitter at SIS Project or follow us on Instagram at Stories in Scripture.